and welcome to the first episode of Unmanageable, news from the unruly people and places of Mendocino County, California. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. Mill Creek flows into the Eel River a few hundred yards downstream of the Cape Horn Dam at the north end of Potter Valley. It's raging this week after a series of intense rainstorms drenched the region over New Year's. There's a bridge over Mill Creek on Van Arsdale Road. If you look up to the right just after you cross it, you'll see an old ponderosa pine with a massive nest of sticks and moss built among its upper branches. Neighbors have been watching bald eagles nest and raise their babies here for over 30 years. The eagle tree in Potter Valley stands next to a driveway to a private residence. PG&E put up poles and hung a single power line from the main road along the driveway to service that one house. Now PG&E says the eagle tree is a hazard to that line and they want to cut it down. Back here is a great view of the nest. Okay. Um, that. Oh, that is great. They've nested this for over 36 years. In this tree? Yeah. Joey Seidel is a tenant on the property. When PG&E came to cut the tree down a year ago, he led the effort that stopped them. Have you seen them? I've seen them the last three years, yeah. The babies have fledged out. And then last year, the baby flew, you know, because we saved it. it. had a beautiful baby, grew up really big, and it fledged over to that tree over there. And it was in the tree squawking for like two hours. And mom flew into the tree and helped it back to the nest. It was really cool. Bald eagles have special protections under federal law, so PG&E needed to get a permit from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to cut the tree and destroy their nest. On December 15th, Fish and Wildlife announced that they had determined that no significant environmental impact would result from the nest removal because, they said, the nest was not occupied. The permit process moved forward during the holidays. For the second year in a row, Joey Seidel sounded the alarm. On December 30th, he put out an action alert to protect the Potter Valley Eagle Tree. And on January 3rd, a vigil began on Van Arsdale Road inside of the nest. Joey put out the call for our, a prayer circle on a third. And uh, Larry and I came out. We were singing the Eagle song on the way. And I swear the minute we pulled in, the Eagles came for the first time that year. Polly Gervin is a longtime local environmental and social justice activist and attorney. I really feel that was a synchronicity that was stunning to me, stunning. I'd never seen two big eagles with their white hairy legs and their white heads. I'd never seen it before in my life here in California. So it was a profound moment. And I think the prayers song, Larry did a great, great prayer song and a blessing of our circle, each one of us. And it was really felt real good. It felt just like our circle was filled with love and that um, there was like, when the indigenous representatives came, boom, there they come. Um, so I was uh, sort of, it seemed miraculous to me, really. It's, it's felt, it felt very good. What is your name? Larry Aguilera. I came out to support the eagles, you know, and when I pulled up, they had just came back to their nest, according to, to Joey. He said, oh, you just, they just got here. 
So uh, we had a little prayer circle uh, for them. Uh, and then, uh, then I went home and then came back with my truck and trailer and just parked out here, you know, and supporting all the, the wonderful um, environmental war warriors, I guess, you know, that, you know, took, that guarded the fence and uh, stayed in front of the fence and per stopped the uh, PG&E from coming in. How many days have you been out here? I was out here for seven days. So you've seen the whole thing kind of happen. Yeah. What's been like a memorable moment for you? I had a memorable moment for me was besides when I first got here, the two eagles landing because that was a beautiful experience. And then it was seeing them actually using the nest because, you know, all the legalities of an unused nest, you know, but seeing the eagles carrying twigs in, the, in their beaks and flying into the nest, that was really nice to see. You know, that just like, uh, I guess they made their choice because, you know, uh, somebody had to talk for the eagles to keep their house open. You know, we have too many homelessness as it is, and we didn't want our winged relatives to turn into homeless as well, even though they have other choices, you know, but they chose this one, so all we can do is support them on their choice. It kind of, I mean, speaking of homeless, it kind of looks like an eagle mansion up there. It's huge. Yeah, I... Yeah, you know, I, I had it at four feet. So we do know it's taller than that, but you know, it's hard to measure, isn't it? You know, I mean, you know. it looks big from the ground, but I bet when you're up there, yeah, it's it's just massive. Probably super comfortable too. I wonder <laughs> if you like twigs. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> but they do. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them three times uh, fly into their nest with twigs. So it was like, wow, warm feeling because I knew that's legally that's what they needed to do, and so we had to report it so that they know it's an active nest. Oh, yeah. And they're actively tending it. Yeah. They Aww. just came back, right? Did you catch them? No. Oh, yeah. They just they're here? They, they were uh, around three minutes ago before you walked up. They were just, one just flew away. We had to try to document that they were here within, by the 15th, the nesting season, um, at the federal level that is protected for the bird, these particular birds. So they are protected. Yes, there is protection at a nesting season level, starting at the 15th of January. And, um, but what the problem was, although there was federal protection, that very service that's supposed to protect the birds issued a permit to PG&E saying that even within the nesting season, up until February 1, they could cut if they determined there were hazards of the wires with, with the weather, with the inclement weather. Oh. So we had to, if they could justify it on those grounds. So here we were in the inclement weather, which, would, which gave them the excuse to come in up until the 15th. So we had to pledge, even then, we really would have had to stay to the first, if to be honest, under the permit they then had. Um, but we knew we could at least hold it to the 15th when we could argue that there was a federal standard they were avoiding. And um, so we pledged to stay to the 15th through the atmospheric rivers. Were you out here during that? Yes. I was the elder. I was the auntie of the camp. Everyone else was below 25. And me, a 72-year-old, I think it was good I was here, though. Because the young ones have the strength 
but some of us elders who've been on the front lines, we have the wisdom. And I want the record to reflect that our front line was Native American, Chicano, Filipino, gay, straight, uh, four girls identified themselves as they. So we were a very intersectional group. It's something I've been hoping for as in a lifetime of forest activism. And I see this new generation coming to the front lines with a far larger diversity than back in the day. Um, and um, it's, it was just lovely. They were lovely. If you had to be out in an atmospheric river uh, for, from January 3rd to the 15th, it was um, fun to be with them. It was fun to be with them. Did you have an umbrella or like a well, tent? Well, the or? first day we had didn't even have a pop-up. But I did have an umbrella, and I do have a. I, I, I've done forest act. I had a. I had a suit. I had a, the the pants and the top, but it was just pouring. It was pouring. And we didn't even have. A, we didn't even have a pop up the first day. Wow. We didn't even have a fire. We were just out in it. Oh. Out in it. But. Did you stay the night? Uh, I would be. We would be going. Back. I would go home and come and meet at the Redwood Valley store in the, at six in the morning. No, at 5.30. We, so we'd get up, we would ride in every morning at 5.30 to be here. But then it got more, it got so crazy that I couldn't even ride out uh, on the roads. Because of the water. Yeah, so, and it was such a downpour. It would have been dangerous. So I then started to stay. We had a, we had a camper, an RV brought. And then so we could sleep inside. And so then I did stay, but no, it was mostly I was here the whole time. The people who would go by and while we were here, they, the neighbors, they love these eagles. They, I mean, even the old timers, like they like to watch them fish. They like to see so them. So they've known them for years. Yeah, for years. And they have developed a fondness and a love. These just local old boys, some of them, and I mean it. And they would come and talk and chat and laugh with us. And, hey, they, it was great. A couple of people, maybe one flipped us off and one sped through. But by and large, by and large we had the um, support of the, local, the locals. And I think it's because PG&E is so darn un unpopular. I mean, they're cutting, whacking away and massacring the oaks, the ancient redwoods, all over the place. And they really did a bad job at Coyote Valley, and they did a bad job at Yokeo. So I was sort of here like, hey, now, you bullies. Mm -hmm. Partly I was here for the tree and the spirit of the eagle, but I was also mad at PG&E, which I think many people are. Did you have any idea when you showed up what the... It, what what would happen to protect it? Was there anything? It was all very confusing. Uh -huh. um, we didn't quite know. We had different parts of that permit we were looking at. We were looking at the parts to protect the owners and their, their heightened their concerns. Private property yeah. rights kind of thing? Well, they were being bullied. They are really being bullied. By PG&E? Yes. Turn off their electrical supply, bring in generators to just insist that, no, we have to cut it. For example, when they did come to cut it, they came to cut it down with a chipper. What day? Um, last Wednesday. They came to cut it down. They showed up with their guard. Uh, I guess he was guard. He was wearing a PG&A vest, and he was kind of intimidating. And... Um, and they just talked and talked, and I was uh, my role was just to say prayer and sing an eagle song, and uh, 
Yeah, of course, I couldn't get arrested because of my truck and trailer being parked here, so I didn't want to do that. But I just wanted to support them to the best of my, through prayer. Were they threatening to arrest people? Uh, that I don't know because I didn't go close enough to listen. I was just staying back out of their way. Yeah, they had the chipper. They had the two ch cop car sheriffs. They had a whole bunch of PG&E security. And they just sort of tried to shove past the kids at the front. But they whooped around real quick and reassembled their bodies. And they were able, well, only one guy got past. And then they sort of locked him in, in a way. They blockaded the trucks? Yes, we blockaded. Uh, though they were here with sheriff and with chainsaws and with security. And um, we stalled them because they, and, and the property owner said, they asked the property owner to arrest them, us, because we were, uh, they wanted citizen arrest us, the uh, PG&E security, but the property owner would have had to make the citizen complaint, and she refused to. So even though they've bullied them a lot, these saying, oh, well, uh, we'll just give you uh, generators, you know, and then you'll have to pay for the underground line, which will be $200,000. What bullies? What bullies? These? But they held the line. So by Wednesday, January 11th, things have escalated. The Eagles are actively using the nest, and activists have set up a camp across Van Arsdale Road from the gate to the property. PG&E sends a crew out to fall the tree and chip it up, and they're turned back by a road blockade. When they ask the owner of the property to make a citizen's arrest to remove the protesters, she refuses, and PG&E is turned away. Tom Wheeler and Matt Simmons of Epic in Humboldt County have put out an alert to their members, and letters are starting to flood into fish and wildlife. Local and state media are taking notice, and the San Francisco Chronicle publishes an article about the Potter Valley Eagle Tree. At this point, Peter Galvin, one of the founders of the Center for Biological Diversity, decides it's time to get involved. The Center for Biological Diversity is a, a group that works to protect endangered species and wild places. We've been around since 1989, and uh, we've helped save um, over 30 million acres of wildlife habitat in the United States and around the world, and helped to get about 1,000 species added to the endangered species list. And so we are a combination of law, science, activism, and creative media. Um, and so we have 170 staff members around the United States and in Mexico. And we um, are one of the leading wildlife protection groups in the country. And you live right here. <laughs> I, yes, I live outside of Shelter Cove um, in, in Humboldt County. And um, I'm one of the founders of the center and I've lived um, here since uh, the late 90s and love the North Coast. Um, Want to, you know, just try and uh, do my part to keep it such a special place. I was inspired. I felt like, like something primal had woken up in me when these, you know, it's pouring rain. These people are out there. And it's like, this isn't their job. They're just, they really just care. And it really was moving. Um, and then to find out uh, that the, you know, the tribe had expressed concerns and then they had been basically evaded, their concerns had been ignored. And uh, so anyway, it was just really, the more I found out and the more I got involved, the more I realized what a righteous cause this is. And I'm just happy that, that we were able to, to get involved and help with uh, you know, our brothers and sisters who are 
carrying on this fight. According to Peter, the Fish and Wildlife Service had violated the National Historic Preservation Act when they issued PG&E a permit to cut the eagle tree on January 5th without adequately consulting local Pomo tribes. He brought the Center for Biological Diversity together with EPIC, and they contacted Michael Hunter, chairman of the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians. I contacted uh, a couple attorneys, and we all caucused, and including um, the Coyote Valley Band, and we agreed to issue a statement, and they uh, uh, wrote a, a forceful letter that was then appended to the press release that we all sent out, and uh, that you know, we sent it to uh, PG&E uh, and the, the Fish and Wildlife Service and the solicitor and people's like, you know, anybody whose email address or fact, uh, uh, you know, the communication we had, we got it to them. Chairman Hunter was in Sacramento when the Center for Biological Diversity and EPIC reached him. They both reached out to me again and they said, we think we can win this and here's why. And we got to do this now. And I'm in Sacramento, you know, at this legislative deal. And I was like, hey, I was talking to James Ramos. I said, hey, man, I might be needing your help trying to save this eagle's nest. He's all right, let me know. And so we're trying to get our, our emails back and forth. And then I try to get a, a tribal consultation to slow him down. Right. And that worked. Yeah, that's what did it. PG&E did respond very early the next morning and say, we'd like we, we would like to discuss this. And so they agreed um, that they would not cut the tree while these uh discussions were occurring. And then uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service revoked the permit. Basically, it's on hold. Uh, and it, ex uh, it it's on hold and we're told it expires February 1. And that since nesting season had already started, that they had told PG&E that the permit was on hold for, uh, for now because the permit was only for the removal of an inactive nest and this was now an active nest. And also, uh, the Coyote Valley Band um, has, uh, they have, my understanding is there has been some communication between them and the Fish and Wildlife Service about the uh, consultation process. It just seems the blind leading the blind, you know, and you have to expose um, how inefficient our government is for them to do something. So you have to embarrass them, you have to shame them. The fact is that um, this was a, a huge oversight um, and really uh, end run uh, by the Fish and Wildlife Service around the National Historic Preservation Act. And, and what we believe is that this is, this is not an isolated incident. This is happening throughout the state. This is happening uh, in, in a variety of contexts from power lines to other decisions that federal government agencies are making that are harming both the environment and cultural uh, preservation. And so uh, we're, you know, this, this, you know, Congressman Huffman's office has sternly weighed in that this was just a, a travesty and unacceptable and we appreciate that. And, and now we want to, uh, you know, make sure that uh, it doesn't happen again, and fundamentally, that it isn't just a um, a process, but that actually, you know, better decisions are made that are more protective of traditional cultural properties, cultural um, protection, and environmental protection, all uh, as they all link together. So um, we're 
you know, hopeful that something positive can happen here. And, you know, it's uh, really to just to go back to the beginning of the conversation, none of it would be possible without the brave residents of the, that Potter Valley there that kept this tree standing and, and rebuffed PG&E for, you know, over a year. And it's really just, um, just a testament to what is possible when, when uh, you know, people power is put into force. The status with the permit right now is that it has been withdrawn from the uh, U.S. because uh, from the federal regulators that issued the permit because it is an active nest now. So we had to wait around till they came back. We had to wait around till we got to the nesting habit, nesting time of of protection, and so it was. Um, it was just a great little line of about seven people, maybe six, that made it through the weather. Many other people would have come, but it was they couldn't get here. We're gonna break camp today, so we're happy that this little our little cry of the tribe and the environmentalists standing for the eagles went around, is going out to the world. Yeah, it was a beautiful experience, it's, you know. I know it's a small win, but we gotta take every win we can get, so. It's a meaningful small win, it matters. It really matters. I mean, look, they're living there. If pg &E can come in here and cut this eagle nest, I mean, what can't they do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, they can break the laws, right? Or they can make the laws to break them, or they can make the laws so they can supersede them. I feel PG&E has taken so much money out of out of the earth, you know, for so long that now it's catching up with them, you know, with all their fires and all the lawsuits yeah. and just a little ego thing that they put so much energy into skirting around the law. With the news that Fish and Wildlife withdrew PG&E's permit to cut the eagle tree, the activists broke camp last Wednesday, January 18th. There's still a window before February 1st when the permit officially expires. Joey Seidel, who lives on the same property as the eagle tree, isn't planning to let his guard down. We're worried about these next few days because they could just pull. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care. Right. And you guys are going to stay out here. So I got to keep the lake, the gate locked and um, they can't come in without their lock on there. You know, they can't cut the lock off. They okay. can, if it's open, they can come in. So I'm gonna lock the gate. Looks like most of the forest defense, you know, tree defense people are gonna leave, but um, I'm gonna be out here documenting. Peter Galvin of the Center for Biological Diversity is also worried, but he hopes for the best. My understanding is that they're done, the seas, they're done, they're not gonna try to cut it till August again. So my right. understanding is that determination that determination has already been made. That it's okay. nesting season has begun. Nesting activity has begun. So yeah, and from my understanding, there's not there there isn't going to be any activity this season, and the whole thing is on hold until at least until August. And then there's you know the hope and chance that PG and E can be persuaded to take a different course uh, and and not cut the tree down. So you're not worried about them going in there sort of illicit. I mean I am I am worried in the sense that the people we're talking to at PG&E are different are you know these are the higher higher ups the deputy general counsel and, and I think now that the Pomo uh, tribe has gotten involved the Coyote Valley Band the, the consequences of screwing up would be a lot higher 
And so now this is on the radar of, you know, uh, people in DC and the Fish and Wildlife Service and Jared, Congressman Huffman's office and the whole thing. So, I mean, I am of course worried about that because, uh, you know, they, these people who, who are intent on doing these types of things, they can, a lot of things can happen. They can, uh, the left hand doesn't always know what the right hand is doing, but um, the permit is, is on hold. PG&E has said they're not moving forward that the nest they they acknowledge the nesting season has started so uh the permit was to remove a inactive nest um and then cut the tree down and now that circumstance doesn't exist wow it looks like larry's packing up the chairs yeah does it feel good uh yeah it, it's it's you know it's a win uh i feel bad that i'm taking the chairs from people you know <laughs> It, but it's it's like, kind of wet out here right now. Yeah. It'll be nice to go maybe, inside. Maybe they need sense to get out of the rain. <laughs> A little but we're all natural exactly. people, so we all like the rain. You know? Right. That chair, I don't know who it belongs to. I mean, I can take it and put it on. Naomi Wagner of Earth First and Coyote Valley Pomo elder Priscilla Hunter warmed themselves beside the campfire as the camp was dismantled in the rain. Above them, one of the eagles arrived carrying something in its beak and then took flight again. But this was such an incredible group effort, and there are many people on site and many people not on site, and I think it's just a real amazing testimony to our ability to work together on no notice. We never met in a circle and planned this out. It just happened, and everybody just jumped in and did their part and worked together and communicated all right up to the top, and I think the only, the only downside is why did it take this much? to save an eagle's nest, an occupied eagle's nest. And the way that PG&E tried to filter and prevaricate and stretch out the time and change the dates and all of that stuff, just obfuscating the issue. And, and then we cut through that together. So we had unity of purpose and it was Light a campfire and people will come warm themselves and stay put. So great is too to see the eagle fly out of that nest. It's a, it's a real blessing to, to have one in our area. <coughs> we've never had any, I thought. And I find out we have the eagle nest out here in Potter Valley. And it's just a blessing for all of us. This has been episode one of the Unmanageable Podcast, news from the unruly people and places of Mendocino County. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. I'm grateful to the Eagle Protectors out at Mill Creek in Potter Valley for welcoming me and sharing their stories with me when I visited the Eagle Tree in the rain on Wednesday, January 18th. I also want to say a huge thank you to all of you who have supported this effort so far by downloading, subscribing, listening, and donating. If you'd like to be in touch with questions, comments, or story ideas, send me an email at unmanageablemendocino at gmail.com. You can make a financial contribution to keep this podcast going by following the PayPal link in the episode summary. I'll be back soon with episode two. Thank you so much for listening. For the Unmanageable Podcast, I'm Alicia Bales. Theme music for this episode is Stumptown by Zach Borden.